a spontaneous and unrehearsed interview. Well, hello, and welcome to the 114th episode of Curiosityness. I'm Travis DeRose, the host, and here's the deal. Route 66, it's happening. We're finally doing the full Route 66 from Chicago to LA. We're going east to west. We're heading westernly on Route 66. Uh, have kind of kind of done stuff before on the West Coast, but never really done the full thing. We're doing the whole trip in the RV for a month. So, you know, I'm doing a whole Route 66 series on this. I gotta. I'm, I love it. I'm so excited for all this. Um, so I've been immersing myself in the Route 66 world for a while now. But here's the deal. Uh... You can check out curiosityness.com slash route 66 or, or visiting 66.com. I got a URL and that'll redirect to curiosityness. Okay, so go go to visiting 66.com. I'll have a link to it in the description. But uh, there's going to be tours and kind of visiting videos from all the stops and attractions and points of interest along Route 66. I'm going to be interviewing the people who are on Route 66 and, you know, that all that make it so special and all that stuff. So I'm so excited for that. So visit uh, visiting66.com to see all that. I'm also going to have like a Google map that I've saved of basically all the points of interest. They're going to be all saved on there. So if you're going to do your own tour, you can go and, and check that stuff out and see hours when they're open, how to get there, everything like that. Um, I'm just going to have a ton of stuff on there. There's going to be like, we're going to look at where all the cars, movie inspiration stuff come, came from. There's going to be the interviews from the Route 66 associations from different states. I got Kansas, Oklahoma, and California. So just a ton of good stuff. If you're taking a Route 66 trip or if you're just interested in Route 66, you can follow along with our trip. Um, we're doing a 30 day, 30 days on Route 66. Can you believe it? We're going to see everything, hopefully, unless things go bad, which may happen. But um, okay, that's the intro for that. This episode is Jim Hinckley. So he's like the father of Route 66, the father of the mother road. Jim Hinckley is, was so fun to talk to. He's got such like a, uh, he just gets you so excited about Route 66. Um, and he's written, he's written 19 books. Um, he's got his own podcast. He's got his own YouTube. So he's like, he's like the Hugh Hauser of Route 66 or the, the Rick Steves of Route 66, I'd say. Um, so that's, that's what this episode is. It's a really good kind of primer intro. We talk about kind of the history of Route 66, what happened to it, why it's so special, and along with some some travel tips and that kind of stuff. So let's get to the episode. Remember, visit visiting66.com for kind of the whole series on this, and I'll, I'll share that in the link again or in the description to click on. But let's get to episode 114 with Jim Hinckley. Mr. Jim Hinckley, how you doing? Pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thanks for coming here. Yeah, you betcha. I love your your background too. You got the cozy dog back there. You got the <laughs> Jim Hinckley. I, I love it. Thank you. Uh, so very excited to talk to you. I feel like you're the, what do you have? You have 19 books published. You've got your audio podcast. You're just, I feel like you're the the father of the mother road. It's crazy how much stuff you have going here. It's I love it. I'm so glad I found you and your content and I feel like it's an honor to be speaking with you even. Well, thank you. Now my hat won't fit. Yes. (laughs) That can happen sometimes. Um, But no, I'm I'm very excited to talk to you. And I guess with all that, are you, is it, are you tired of Route 66 yet, Jim? Are you done with it? Uh, You know, uh, no. Uh, People ask me how long it takes to, to, to see Route 66. And I always tell them I have no idea. I've only been doing it since 1959. Uh, (laughs) And I am that old, but uh, it's not just Route 66. You know, I focus on uh, the American Southwest, American automotive history. Yes. And it, it all blends together in a package. And uh, the whole idea is to add depth and context to right, to mundane subjects. Yeah, no, you have, you do kind of, you do focus on um, car culture and stuff a bit in your books too, which I, I find very interesting. I love that. Yeah, I started out, uh, my first writing uh, was uh, on the American auto industry from roughly 1885 through 1945. 
And uh, I grew up on the road, traveled all my life. My folks teased me. I was potty trained along Route 66. <laughs> and uh, But they morphed together. As an example, in 1915, Edsel Ford and his college buddies, they followed uh, the National Old Trails Road west to California, which was the predecessor to Route 66. Mm. So automotive history and Route 66, all these things kind of blend together. Sure. Yeah, no, of co- uh, definitely, of course, we know classic cars on Route 66. Um, so you had kind of mentioned it. I want to dive into, like, I, like, I want to get the basics here done and, and, you know, what is Route 66? Why does it exist? You kind of mentioned the predecessor of it. You know, why, why are we talking about Route 66 right now? How did it begin? Well, first of all, Route 66 is not America's oldest highway. It's not its most scenic highway. But from its inception, it's always had the best press and publicity. Mm. And as a result, it, at some point in its history, it morphed into something more than just a highway. It came to symbolize the American experience. Uh, Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz did a several-part uh, series of their travels from New York to California. And it was on Route 66. Uh, the most recorded song in history is that little tune about getting your kicks on Route 66. Everybody has recorded that. The Beatles, Mick Jagger, uh, Pat Boone. Uh, it's uh, Polish polka bands have done renditions of that song. Uh, the U.S. Highway 66 Association in 1927 began marketing Route 66 as the main street of America. And uh, working with the Olympic Committee in 1932, they began marketing Route 66 as the road to the Olympics in Los Angeles. Mm. Uh, then you had the, the song, the, the movie, Grapes of Wrath, the television show, uh, Easy Rider. All of these things had a Route 66 connection. Was it really, I, I don't know if I'm remembering something wrong, but was it the first kind of paved road kind of mostly across the country? Well, no, uh it took quite a while. It's kind of an interesting and long story. Um, it really goes back to President John Adams, uh, John Quincy Adams, uh, who proposed the idea of building a national road system. And uh, it never went anywhere. We got a few roads done, the Beale Wagon Road here in uh, northwestern Arizona, which Route 66 later followed, uh, was one of the first federally funded roads in the southwest Uh, But with the advent of the railroad, that concept of a national highway system, a national road system, kind of went on the back burner. Mm, Okay. And then it was the bicycle uh, in uh, 1880s. And then in the 1890s, it really exploded an absolute national mania for bicycles. Uh, We had like 20 companies manufacturing bicycles in 1890. And by 1895... We had 500-plus companies manufacturing bicycles. And it was we had uh, bicycle clubs organizing trips from Detroit to St. Louis, touring, uh, all these things. But the problem was there were no damn roads. They were were just ruts. They were goat trails. They were wagon trails. So the League of American Wheelmen was formed as a lobbying organization for the bicycle enthusiasts. And part of the component of that was petitioning for good roads. And that was the cornerstone for the good roads movement. And while all this bicycle mania was taking place, uh, we started having the development of the American auto industry. Hmm. The Duryea brothers in Massachusetts became the first to mass produce, or I should say, manufacture automobiles for sale. This is about 1894, 1895. But nobody knew what to do with an what, what, what an automobile even was. Uh, in 1895, Barman Bailey Circus gave top billing over the albino and the fat lady for a Duryea motor wagon. And wow. Montgomery, Montgomery Ward said, come and see the fad before it passes. The fad. <laughs> uh, in 1898, we had the first automobile race in the United States. So you got the bicycles, you got the cars all coming up, but the problem again, no roads, none. Uh, Alexander Winton was one of the first pioneering automobile manufacturers. And in 1901, he wanted to prove the viability of automobiles. So he took one of his cars to San Francisco with an attempt to drive to the East Coast. Uh, Two weeks later, he quit 
out in the Nevada desert because there were no damn roads, none. Uh, he was fording streams, things of this nature. Uh, Dr. Jackson in 1903 became the first person to drive across the United States in an automobile. Took him 63 days. Wow. Uh, but there was no roads. There was a, a attempt, growing attempt, the Good Roads Association, the Good Road Movements. Uh, the political things they encountered was, uh, largely was one of the big arguments was that creation of a national highway system would be socialist. It would give rise to socialism in America. Interesting. I think I've heard this somewhere recently. Uh, on, uh, anyway, this mantra has been around for a while. But the Good Roads Association started picking up the tab. They started building roads like the Lincoln Highway, the first coast-to-coast automobile road. Uh, but roads were dictated by money. Harvey Firestone, uh, Packard Corporation, uh, started putting these automotive roads together. But they were still basically dirt trails with minor improvements. Uh, the National Trails Road, I had mentioned, it was put in 1913 from Maryland to California. And it was knit together America's historic trails. The Santa Fe Trail, the Beale Wagon Road, some of these were knit together as an automobile road. Mm-hmm. And tourism was a big part of this, pushing this. Uh, and the other thing that's interesting in this period, we have this blending, uh, this collision, if you will, of the past and the present. Buffalo Bill Cody, he was one of the directors on the National Old Trails Road Association. He, really? bought, his, he bought his first automobile in 1905. Uh, but the good roads were developing, but it was still problematic. Uh, roads would change. Uh, all of a sudden, Kingman doesn't have the money uh, to, to maintain their section of road, but Yucca, Arizona does. Well, we'll bypass Kingman then. We'll go to Yucca. So your map that you had last week, now the road goes 60 miles in a different direction. To put it into perspective, how still how bad the roads were, even though traffic was increasing exponentially. Uh, in 1915, over 20,000 people traveled the National Old Trails Road to California for the Panama Pacific Exposition. And the reason they chose that road instead of the Lincoln Highway or others was the Grand Canyon, the Painted Desert, the tourism ah, aspect. Sure. But Henry, uh, Edsel Ford... And his college buddies, in his journal for uh, July 15th, 1915, he notes that he left Williams, Arizona in the morning and arrived in Kingman, Arizona at midnight at the Brunswick Hotel. And he said, good day's run. That was 156 miles. Wow. And that was considered a good day's run. Yeah, that's tough. So we fast forward to 1924-25, and it gains ground where uh, Cyrus Avery and others were able to push creation of a U.S. highway system. And initially, it was a lot of these, like the National Trails Road, they just simply put up signs and called it Route 66. Uh, It would be 1936 before Route 66 was fully paved. Wow. My pa always said, better to fill your head with useless knowledge than no knowledge at all. Sure. The last U.S. highway to be fully paved was U.S. 6. There was a section of that road along the uh, Nevada and Utah border that was still gravel road until 1952. Oh, wow. So it took a while for the roads to develop. Yeah. Something that you don't even really, I mean, a struggle that we at least here in the L.A., Southern California area, have no problem with finding. I mean, the roads aren't the best, but there's roads everywhere. You know, I, yeah. I, I don't have I can buy a car. I don't have to worry about, uh, you know, finding a road to drive it. But it does remind me, like, interestingly, how uh, it's kind of similar to electric cars now, it seems like, doesn't it? Where people are a little hesitant to buy it because there wasn't the electric car infrastructure yet right. to, to travel. And now, you know, there's been people who have kind of, traveled across country or, or different ways to kind of prove that, you know, electric cars are, are getting there. Well, yeah, in, in the early years, uh, that was, uh, gasoline was a serious problem. Uh, there was, um, on Dr. Jackson's trip, for example, there were times where he would run out of gas and walk 10 to 15 miles to get gasoline 
and you would pay two, three dollars a gallon. Uh, whereas, like in Detroit at that time, um, you know, you could buy gasoline relatively cheap. Gasoline was was sold in jugs through your local stores and different things. Really? But you you mentioned um, electric vehicles. This will surprise you. Uh, electric vehicles have always been viable for urban areas. But what's changing is now long distance. Mm-hmm. I do not know how slow Mr. Bliss was, but he has the dubious distinction of being the first pedestrian struck and killed by an automobile in the United States wow. in 1898. And he was struck and killed by an electric taxi cab in New York City. Really? Uh, before 1912 and the advent of the electric starter for automobiles, a large percentage of your automobiles built were electric. And it was easier, like in the Northeast, Boston, different places, it was easier to find a place to charge your batteries than it was to buy gasoline. Huh. Wow, you would never never have thought that. I mean, I've seen, you know, old, they seem like, uh, like we have the Peterson Museum here in L.A., and yes. they got some old electric vehicles there, but never realized that it would be easier actually to get, you know, to charge up your battery there than to get gasoline. That's insane. Yeah. And uh, if you go, when you, if you go to the Peterson next time, have you ever gone down the vault? In the Peterson? No, I've never been in the vault. No. Uh, okay. They've got a car down there that'll really trip your trigger down in the vault. Uh, it's called a Woods Dual Power. And uh, Woods was a pioneer electric company. They started around 1900. And again, some of that useless trivia that might come in handy on Jeopardy someday. Uh, the first car imported into Hawaii was a car built by Woods, who built electric automobiles. Uh, in 1916-17, Woods came up with this revolutionary car. They, called, they, they advertised it as a car that soils the air less. And it had a four-cylinder gas engine and dual generators. When you drove it in town 20 miles an hour or so, it was an electric car. And on the highway, it was a four-cylinder gasoline-powered car. No way. How about that? A hybrid. Yeah, that is amazing. This, yeah, this technology we think is so revolutionary and and special. It's been around hundreds of years. The the science behind it has been there and known. The problem is like battery technology. The problem with those early electric cars, a lot of them were dry cells. And uh, you would have literally 2,000 pounds of batteries. uh, And at 25 miles an hour, you could drive... 100, 150 miles at 25 miles an hour. They, they weren't, the, the, the technology wasn't there yet. Yeah, they it weren't the, the hot yeah. rods that the Tesla Roadster is today yet. Exactly, yeah. Um, okay, so, man, Jim, you're, you are just full of knowledge. It's fun talking to you. I love this. But uh, so getting back to kind of Route 66, was it kind of, was it really the, the tourism that sparked it initially and kind of how it, uh, you know, grew to an icon status? Well, tourism's always been a big part of Route 66. Just as with here in the Southwest, I mentioned the National Old Trails Road. Originally, uh, it was Trail to Sunset. A fellow named A.L. Westgard started mapping automobile roads, and he mapped Trail to Sunset, which interestingly had the same eastern terminus as Route 66 a dozen years later in Chicago. Trail to Sunset went diagonal across Arizona from Springerville down to Yuma, where it connected to the Ocean Ocean Highway. And then in 1913, when the National Trails Road came in, they used Trail to Sunset in the southwest, and National Trails Road was the same course. Uh, In late 1913, some businessmen in Kingman, Arizona, and Needles, California, with some backing from the railroad, attended the National Trails Road Convention in Kansas City, and they made a pitch to reroute the National Trails Road across northern Arizona and across the deserts of California. And there were three primary arguments for this. Uh, one, hotels. The railroad, was it would, that would parallel the uh, railroad. It would follow the Beale Wagon Road and the Spanish Trail and the Old Mojave Road. So it would be one of the historic roads, the National Trails Road. The railroad had established hotels, so you would have good quality lodging along the way, and tourism, because if you did that, you'd be going through the painted desert, the petrified forest, you'd have access to Santa Fe, the ancient city of Santa Fe, you would have all these marketing opportunities. 
Uh, and there was a fourth reason, and it wasn't marketed a lot. But anybody who had an automobile, the light went on as soon as they heard this. When you destroyed your car on these roads, you could load it on the train and ship the parts home. And uh, that's what happened. Like with Emily Post in 1916, 15, she wrote a book called By Motor to the Golden Gate, and it's been reprinted. It's a great book about her trip from New York to California. And her car, by the time she got to around Holbrook, Arizona, was pretty much done. She put it on the train and shipped it the rest of the way to California. Wow. And they just built on this. Here in the southwest from Las Vegas, New Mexico, all the way to Los Angeles, Route 66 roughly followed the National Trails Road. And the U.S. Highway 66 Association jumped on that bandwagon. This is the gateway to the Grand Canyon, the wonders of the southwest, uh, the painted desert, the petrified, all these great, wonderful things. So tourism played a huge part in marketing and developing Route 66. Yeah. So is that kind of, do you think is that the main reason why we're talking about Route 66 now and not the Lincoln Highway or something? No, uh, it is part of it. But like I say, it's always had the best press and publicity. And it's morphed over the years into something larger than life. It's come to symbolize uh, the, the quintessential American road trip, if you will, the great American experience. Uh, a, a few years ago, I was in Anaheim at a conference, and I was very privileged to, to hear a fellow who's since become a very good friend, uh, Zenik Jurisic of the Czech Republic. Uh, it was a conference about Route 66, and a lot of the people that were in attendance were the, the people you envision in your mind, the capitalist that have no problem evicting grandmother into the snow on Christmas. You know, they're, they're, they're that, that kind of mentality. They were bankers and things of this nature. Mm-hmm. And when Zenick spoke about Route 66, there was hardly a dry eye in the place. Wow. He talked about growing up in a communist country. He was from the Czech Republic. And uh, bootleg copies of Easy Rider, uh, the song, Get Your Kicks on Route 66, all of this for his generation the road trip, Route 66, motorcycles. He said that came to symbolize freedom for his generation like the Statue of Liberty did for a previous generation. Oh, okay. And uh, for Americans, uh, surprisingly, uh, the silver lining with COVID is that Americans are starting to rediscover the joy of the road trip because it's been Mm -hmm. faded a lot. Mm -hmm. It surprises people that until 2020, Depending on who you talk to, 60 to 80% of your travelers on Route 66 were internationals. Yeah, that is shocking. I never would have thought. I work with uh, 32 tour companies before COVID, uh, organizing events, helping with tours, things of that nature. And 28 of those companies are based in other countries. And they specialize in Route 66 trips with side trips to the Grand Canyon, Monument Valley, the, the great romance of the Southwest, the tourism. But they specialize in, in Route 66 tours. Sure. There's been uh, two European Route 66 festivals now. Uh, I was privileged to speak at both. In the 2018 festival was in Zlin, the Czech Republic. There was over 20,000 people from 10 countries celebrating Route 66, American music, and American cars. Wow. That, that, that is pretty cool. That's, that's very fun. There's uh, Route 66 associations in about a dozen countries that organize events, festivals, tours. They write guidebooks. There's Route 66 associations in Australia, Japan, uh, Germany, the Netherlands, Czech Republic, Norway, Italy, France. Yeah. That's insane, yeah. And I Because I, I've heard it's kind of compared, you know, if you're going to come visit the United States, you can go to a city or something, or why not come to... <laughs> Go through Route 66, you get Chicago, L.A., and everything in between. You get kind of the whole, you know, American experience, I guess. And you get that Southwest tourism that's so big. Because not only Route 66, but the American Western, the John Wayne movies, these things. A little tidbit for you. Bonanza was so popular in Germany in the early 60s, they tried to have the show banned. Because when it came on at night, theaters bars, restaurants had about a 40% drop in business. People stayed home to watch this. The romanticism of the Southwest linked with Route 66 (coughs) drives this whole deal. 
Yeah. Wow. You know, what the, you know what the most amazing thing about Route 66 is? What's that? It doesn't exist. What do you mean? Route 66 was officially decertified as a U.S. highway in 1985. Ah, yes. So technically, officially, Route 66 hasn't existed for 20-some years. Yeah, that is crazy. And yet we have this incredible fan club. We do. Yeah. So, and I, I'm, I'm still, I'm sorry to keep harping on this, but I just am still a bit unclear as, you know, why were the, why were songs written about Route 66 and as opposed to the Lincoln Highway? What, did it just sort of sn- kind of organically snowball and we don't really know why? Well, yeah, it was organically snowballed, but with a nudge from marketing. Okay. Uh, well, we start out, like say, um, Route 66 was certified in November 1926. And Cyrus Avery was a, quite a visionary fellow. He was a pioneer in some of the early Good Roads Associations. And uh, he uh, pioneered the Oklahoma Highway Department. He was the first to implement uh, gasoline tax to fund the highway department. Uh, he was involved with a lot of these things, and he was appointed to the commission to help create the U.S. highway system, a numbered U.S. highway system. Mm. And uh, in by April 1927, he had organized with some other visionary businessmen and leaders and states and organized the U.S. Highway 66 Association. And the U.S. highway system came into being in 1925-26, so he was very early. And it was a two-fold campaign. Promote Route 66 above other highways, you know, as a destination itself. This is your main route across the heartland of America. This is the route, tourism. This is the one to get to L.A., to Chicago. Plus, lobbying to have the road paved from end to end. Mm -hmm. That was a big push. That was in 1927. In 1928, we had a sports promoter, uh, uh, C.C. Pyle. They called him Cash and Carry Pyle. He hatched up this harebrained scheme for a transcontinental foot race. Uh, sports writers called it the Bunyan Derby, and uh, he needed a backing. The U.S. Highway 66 Association saw opportunity in this, so they jumped on board to help with promotion and become a sponsor. Uh-huh. The race went from Los Angeles to Chicago, along Route 66, and then to New York. It got international attention for a couple good reasons. And, of course, when this foot race got attention, the spotlight was on Route 66. Right. The reason the spotlight was on this is Mr. Pyle was offering a $20,000 purse to the winner. There was a $500 entrance fee. Oh, geez. Well, with a $20,000 purse, you attract a big rate. I mean, ultra marathon runners, Olympic runners from all over the world. So you have international press and media. Ah. But what exploded the story more than this was Andy Payne. He was a 19-year-old Cherokee boy from Foyle, Oklahoma. Little tiny farming community. It's still a little tiny farming community on Route 66. And the, the town raised the money, $500, to send him to L.A. and enter. Oh, how cool. But they couldn't afford shoes. He started this thing out barefoot. Then he got shoes donated, and it became a David and Goliath story. By the time that the racers reached the Oklahoma state line, this 19-year-old boy was was ahead of the pack. He won the race. Well, he used the $20,000 to pay off his family's farm, and and today there's a statue in a park in Foyle right on the junction of Route 66, and the main street is Andy Payne Boulevard. Wow, that That is so cool. Spotlights on Route 66. Yeah. In 1932, the Route 66 Association partnered with the U.S. Olympic Commission. The Olympics were in Los Angeles. Full-page ads in the New York Times about U.S. 66, your scenic route to the Olympics. Yeah. Grand Canyon, all these different things. Spotlight on Route 66. Uh, the Grapes of Wrath, the book and the movie. Mm-hmm. Route 66. Okay. It was filmed on Route 66. The book was about the Okies traveling Route 66. Bobby Troop, when he, uh, after the war, he went to California. Uh, one of the main routes, uh, Route 66, he picked it up part way, and he started in his head, him and his wife started coming up with this song about getting your kicks on Route 66. Ah, cool. 
the song was recorded by Nat King Cole. It became uh, number one as a chart topper. Mm-hmm. Another little interesting thing about Route 66, deviating from our story a bit, even though Nat King Cole made that song an international sensation, most of the motels on Route 66 would not allow him to stay there during his travels. Really? Because he was black. Yeah. And with the song went international. It became a hit all over the world. Again, Spotlight, Route 66. During World War II, Route 66 uh, became a, a vital military asset. And all along Route 66, we had military bases. We had POW camps set up along Route 66. Wow. We had all these things along Route 66. Now, after the war, we have this boom in, in tourism. Family vacation comes into being. The Great American Station Wagon, the road trip, Disneyland, all these things. Where are these GIs going to, what are they going to do? They're going to drive Route 66. Heck yeah. I mentioned Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz, and they're, they're, they had a top-rated television program in the 1950s. They did a two-part episode where they drove Route 66 to California. Mm-hmm. And the U.S. Highway 66 Association was right there to help and jump on the bandwagon with marketing and promotion. The TV show, Route 66, was one of the top television programs in the United States when it came out. Interestingly enough, only about five episodes were actually filmed on Route 66. It doesn't matter. The theme song, the Corvette, two young men discovering America and life in their Corvette, Route 66. Yeah, you can see, yeah. It's always had the best press and the best publicity. Yeah. No, that was great. I really appreciate you walking me through that. You could really see how it just how it just grew into this. And then the the Route 66 Association, were these like who were these people? Did they have an interest in why why were they interested in growing the Route 66? Well, you bet. Cyrus Avery, like I say, he was quite a visionary out of Tulsa, Oklahoma. And interestingly enough, he was instrumental in um developing Route 66, like say the numbered highway system was part of his doing. He was on that commission. Uh, East and West highways had even numbers, North and South, odd numbers, and, you know, put this whole thing together. Uh, Interestingly enough, when Route 66 went through Tulsa originally, it took an odd course through Tulsa and went right past his gas station. Uh, (laughs) You know, so you had these guys, but they they had a vested interest. Uh-huh. Uh, in seeing this road develop. And uh, they, they were visionaries. They were ambitious. And the cities got involved. Most of the communities along the highway, Gallup, New Mexico, Albuquerque, New Mexico, Flagstaff, Arizona, jumped on the bandwagon. They saw the opportunity. Mm-hmm. And exponential growth in, in travel, automotive development, uh, you know, fueled a lot of this. But Route 66, like I say, it's not our most scenic highway or historic it's always, always had the best press and publicity. And that continues. I think today Route 66 is even more popular than it was in the 30s, 40s, or 50s. Yeah. Uh, there was a recent study done by the World Monuments Fund about uh, Route 66 properties. And they determined that the U.S. 66 shield, even if people don't realize that it's a highway, they see it as a marketing symbol. That shield is more internationally recognized today than Coca-Cola. Wow. That's and impressive. You can find Route 66 in the damnedest places, amazing places. I was in Worms, Germany, and one of the mall, uh, in a mall, from one end of the mall to the other was a Route 66 map with all these icons from Route 66, the, the, uh, the Gemini giant and all these different things. And, of course, here's the Grand Canyon, here's Monument Valley, but here's Route 66. Yeah, uh, through the mall. Uh, I was in a little far. I was driving through a little German farming town, Bensheim, Germany. I doubt the population is more than six, seven hundred people. I had to stop and get a picture. Here's this little farmer's shed for riding lawnmowers, and it's outlined. It's got Route 66 shields all the way around uh, the door. Oh my god! Um, Holland Electronics, the gentleman who uh, owns Holland Electronics. Uh, all his corporate cars have personalized Route 66 license plates. Ah, so cool. It, it's just the press, the publicity, it's all there. Yeah, people go nuts for it, my, myself included. I'm excited. We got a we got an RV, a month-long RV trip coming up from Chicago to L.A., so I can't wait for this. Well, you're going to stop, but when you get this way, you holler at me, and we'll, we'll do some coffee, and I'll give you the 50-cent tour of Gangman. Oh, all right. That'd be great. I would love that. 
I'll I'll be uh, I'll be giving you a ring for sure, Jim. Um, uh, RV travel. You mentioned that in the there again, COVID. The Americans, starting probably in the eighties, actually started losing interest in road trips. Part of that is because we don't have the two week vacation, mm. and uh, we do we do we do a lot three day weekends, you know that kind yeah. of thing. But we don't do vacations. Uh, COVID RV sales and rentals went off the chart. Yeah, and people are rediscovering the Great American Road Trip and Route sixty six. Yeah, that's so cool. That's that's great. I'm I'm so glad to hear that there's been kind of a boom and people are are rediscovering it. Do you have your trip pretty well planned out, mapped out? Or? Um, we have it. We it's kind of loose. So we have you know our our start day in Chicago, of course, and then um, you know we have we're we're actually going to the Albuquerque Balloon Festival, yes. so that we have that set. Um, but in between there, we're we're just kind of going with the flow. I'll, I'll get you some information. I'll send it to you, but. Uh, I recommend Route66Navigation.com. Uh, there's a really great app. Okay. Uh, very well done. Uh-huh. I don't say it just because I developed the point of interest file, which has <laughs> now got to be updated. Uh, but it's probably the best uh, navigation app for the road. Okay. It's got points of interest, uh, maps, phone numbers, contact information, uh, restaurants, motels, historic sites, trivia, all kinds of stuff. That's perfect. It's about yeah. twenty five bucks a year, uh, and the Route sixty six passport is a lot of fun. You can get it stopped at different places, get it stamped, and get a souvenir along the road. Oh yeah, cool! I love doing stuff like that. The interesting thing about this app and this passport too, it's developed by a fellow named Marian Pavel, who has a company called Touch Media, mm-hmm. and he lives in Bratislava, Slovakia. <laughs> really? <laughs> yes. And it, it's one of the top-selling apps, and this passport has just gone gangbusters in popularity. Okay. And, and until COVID, he would spend three, four months a year traveling Route 66, getting no business owners, building the network. And Yeah, not a bad but, gig, it sounds like. Yeah, but it's a great app and uh, something I can highly really recommend. Okay, that's and, good, yeah. And the other thing I recommend, I don't know if you're familiar with this, uh, is the Ah, yes, I got my copy already. Okay. Jerry is great. Uh, his phone number's in here, his cell phone, and he invites you to stop by his gallery in his house to get this thing signed in Oklahoma. Yeah. He's a great, he's a great guy. Oh, cool. Bet- between this and the app, that'll do you well on Route 66. And so for people listening, it's the, what's it called, the Easy Guide to 66? Uh, yeah, Easy 66 Guide for Travelers by okay. Jerry McClanahan. And that's, that'll basically keep you on, the, on Route 66. This really exemplifies the duality, the, the conflicted nature of Route 66, if you will. This uh, easy guide is a flip ring binder book with directions and hand-drawn maps from the artist, Jerry McClanahan. And it looks like something that you'd find in the 1950s. Yeah. I don't know a travel. I, don't, I, I, find, I think this has got to be one of the largest selling guides to Route 66. Mm-hmm. And then in direct mirror opposite of this, we have the Route 66 navigation app. You know, we have the 1950s and the 21st century. Yeah. And, and that shows the duality of Route 6, the nature of Route 66. Yeah. That's so fun. Well, and I'm, I'm glad. Thank you for mentioning that app. I was going to ask you for resources. And yeah, because it seems that's what I'm used to is, you know, the Google Maps and that kind of stuff. So it's great that there is an app to kind of help us along the way. Well, uh, yeah, it's... Um, you mentioned electric vehicles, uh, something we have here in Kingman. It's been a struggle. It's been like pushing a wheelbarrow full of rocks up a hill with a flat tire. But <laughs> after seven years, we're making progress. We have an embryonic, the world's only electric vehicle museum here in Kingman. Really? And we just made arrangements with the city of Kingman to buy an old supermarket. And uh, it's, we're going to start moving this forward. And it's going to be a electric vehicle museum. Uh, conferences, all of this. It's going to be a green facility as envisioned and it'll be tied in with a community college for alternative energy programs. Oh, that's very cool. I like that a lot. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's jump back now. So we, we kind of, you know, Route 66 is is going strong. It's, it's post-World War II. People are traveling this. There's tourism is going. So what the heck happened? Why, you know, you, you, you said it's gone. Where did it go? Well, it, it never could keep up 
with the increase in traffic. It, it never could evolve fast enough. Uh, depending on what size motorhome you're traveling with, there's a section of Route 66 here in western Arizona. Uh, it's pre-1952. Uh, you cannot take a vehicle over 35 feet over this road. It's uh, mm. the sharpest curves and the steepest grades anywhere on Route 66. One of the curves is so sharp that Pickwick bus lines, um, a predecessor to Greyhound, they literally had to back the bus up the hill into a clearing because you could not make the turn. Wow. This road has almost no guardrails. It is narrow. Uh, it's got 12% grades. And this was the road until 1952. Wow. In 1939 on that road, the highway department clocked a million vehicles on that road. Oh, my gosh. After the war, it increased exponentially. You had to do something. Okay. And even though creation of the interstate literally killed businesses, generational businesses, and transformed communities into literal ghost towns, it was it had to be done. Mm-hmm. Route 66 was known as Bloody 66, and really? especially in the 50s. Uh, it was often, if you needed filler for newspapers, because the Route 66, U.S. 66, that always caught attention. You could always find some horrendous crash. Uh, Ten people killed, eight people killed. It was all the time, daily. Oh, jeez. Uh, because the road. During the war, uh, attempts were made uh, to modernize it. Illinois, Route 66 became four-lane in most areas, a divided highway that bypassed urban centers. In Missouri, the, the Devil's Elbow area was bypassed for Hooker's Cut. Uh, they made a deep four-lane highway. But when you've got a lot of the bridges on Route 66, even in the 50s, they were built in the 1920s or earlier. The road didn't have shoulders. A lot of the road, there was no shoulder on the road. Uh, and you're out here. you got some farmer with a Model A truck dragging hay down the highway, and here's somebody in a Buick Roadmaster convertible with a Fireball 8. Yeah. And it, 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 just, it was a nightmare. It was yeah. just an absolute nightmare. The beauty of Route 66 today is you can have your cake and eat it, too. Sure. You can get on the interstate when you're in a hurry, and you can enjoy Route 66. You can yeah. turn the clock back about 80, 90, 100 years and simply enjoy yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. That's exactly because w- that's what we're doing is, um, you know, because we're here in L.A. My parents are driving the RV out to Chicago right now. You know, they're taking the interstate, just kind of doing as quick as they can. We'll, me and my sister are going to fly out to Chicago, meet them there, and then we'll, we'll mosey on home on Route 66. Very good. Uh, some great places. You're going to be really amazed. Route 66 is, uh, I, I, I don't like to describe, use the term magic, but it's the only way I can put it. What separates Route 66 from US 6, US 50, US 40 is the people. You'll meet the most amazing people. It literally will become a family reunion. You will meet people in Pontiac, Illinois, and then meet them again in Tucumcari, and you'll become pen pals for nothing else. You'll, you'll, you'll find yourself having pie and coffee five years from now because of these trips. Uh, fascinating and, and passionate people. Uh, uh, Kevin and Nancy Mueller, they just sold the Blue Swallow Motel and moved to Tucumcari. Uh, corporate people, y- what we call yuppies. I know that's an older term, but uh, uh, six-figure-a-year income. And just realizing I'm just on the treadmill constant. Mm-hmm. They bought a 1939 motel in Tucumcari, New Mexico. And they lived there for years fixing it up and things. And I talked to Kevin, and he says, I've never worked this hard in my life for this little money, <laughs> and I've never enjoyed life as much as I am now. Oh, that's great. And, and, and it's, you'll, you'll meet amazing and passionate people. Uh, a lot of internationals, even though the international travel, which adds such a, a spice to the trip, you won't be able to find many of those people on the road right now because – it's not international travel won't come back until late next summer at the earliest, possibly even next fall. Yep. But uh, Elkhart, Illinois, a little town, one block long. You cross the river. Route 66 is on the north side of the tracks. 
You cross the tracks, and there's the town. It's about one block long. Neat. It's all 19th century, early 20th century buildings. There's a little cafe, a wonderful place called uh, the Wild Hair Cafe. It's in about a 1905 bank building. The fella inside looks like he is imitating Santa Claus on vacation. <laughs> rotund, rotund fellow, white beard, bib overalls, smiles, laughs. He's a Dutch hydraulic engineer that fell in love with Route 66, and he loves wow. woodworking. So he bought this ancient empty bank, turned it into a restaurant. Oh uh, here in Kingman, the 1939 El Trovador Motel, literal crack house, ready to be torn down. Gentleman from Israel bought it, and he's renovating the property. Wow. Uh, man, just you got, this trip is amazing. And some of the towns, Pontiac, Illinois, is a, is a definite must. Um, these folks have been able to sell everything on the hog, including the squeal. And they've transformed the town. 20 years ago, Pontiac, with a beautiful historic district, uh, 1870s courthouse, it was empty. They had about an 85 to 90% vacancy rate in their storefronts and businesses. Oh, my gosh. There's a waiting list for properties. Wow. Uh, The Pontiac Oakland Automobile Museum opened there. The Society of Gilders, people who do the gold leaf and all this, they opened a museum in Pontiac. Oh, that's cool. uh, they had a mural program, transformed the whole downtown with vintage advertisements, recreated as murals. Uh, just a vibrant, exciting town. Uh, wow. Cuba, Missouri is another one I can't say enough about. So, and so, I mean, practically when we're on this trip, is this something that, uh, do we need to plan ahead and have, you know, kind of map all, all these spots? Or if we're just driving Route 66, are we going to stumble upon these, these things? If you're traveling Route 66, you'll stumble on a lot of them. Um, it's best because of COVID to do a little bit of planning because some of these places will be closed. Mm. And, and we've, I don't, I, I've got to update this point of interest file. Uh, we've lost a lot of stuff on Route 66. Really? A lot of these places were mom and pops that don't have big budgets and they're not surviving uh, closures. They're not going to survive 80, 90% drop in business for two years. Yeah. The flip side is new places are open and uh, new things oh. are developing. And That's good. Yeah. And, and the, like Cuba. Cuba is a neat, neat, just a neat little town there in the Ozarks. Since you're traveling by RV, you won't need the Wagon Wheel Motel. Uh, but do stop and say hello to Connie. And check the place out. It's the oldest continuously operated motel on Route 66 Whoa. since about 1936. And Man. she did this as a retirement project. <laughs> uh, she took on another crack house and re- redid it with modern amenities, but kept all the original stuff as much as she could. And it's just it's a fascinating place. Right next door is a tremendous Ozark Mountains barbecue place. And uh, right down the street is the Cuba Bakery and Deli. And it's a Mennonite-owned bakery. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Just tremendous. And food, you can tell by looking at me. I don't miss a lot of meals. <laughs> and uh, pie and cobbler. That's my weakness. Oh, okay. Boy, I'll so, tell you. So what's the best pie on Route 66? God, there's plenty of places. Uh, Clanton's Cafe in Venita, Oklahoma, has a blackberry or multi-berry cobbler. That's delicious. Uh, it's one family-owned restaurant since 1927. Wow. Uh, the Wild Hair Cafe, they have a, a, a berry cobbler. Uh, and all the stuff at the Wild Hair, the desserts come with whipped cream, real whipped cream, and a ginger snap rabbit on top. Uh, the Grand Canyon that. Caverns has some tremendous pie. They've got a, a cook from, uh, she's an elderly lady that worked on a ranch for many years. She bakes these delicious pies. Uh, Westside Lilo's in uh, Seligman, Arizona. Uh, German food and American food, a blending of the two, and monstrous cinnamon rolls. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, Lilo is from uh, Wiesbaden, Germany, and she's uh, her and her husband. Uh, her husband was military. They married in the 60s, and uh, she, she carries authentic German dinners and stuff. There. Oh, that sounds great. Yeah. Food. Yeah, I've been... I've been telling my family we're gonna have to see what the uh, what the ratio is of like pound to mileage. Are we gonna gain you know a pound every fifty miles on this trip? You know, it wouldn't be hard at all. Uh, 
Ah, a great place. And speaking of gaining weight, you got to go to Uranus, Missouri. <laughs> okay. Uh, hopefully, Louis Keene will be there. He is one colorful character. Uh, if you're easily offended by juvenile humor, your parents or anything, don't go to Uranus. <laughs> okay, we'll but be there. if you enjoy quintessential roadside fun, Louis has he's finishing up the miniature golf course now, but he bought uh, the world's largest collection of circus sideshow memorabilia oh. and opened the circus sideshow museum and hired this leopard-faced woman to do sword swallowing and stuff. Uh, but his claim to fame is the Fudge Factory, Uranus Fudge Company. <laughs> and any juvenile humor that goes with that is on display. Oh, that's so great. T-shirts, hats, uh, you name it. Uh, <laughs> big fun in Uranus. And he's got this huge neon signs. And he's got a monstrous neon sign along the highway of a Tyrannosaurus eating a UFO. Uh, but anything juvenile humor that comes up with Uranus and fudge, they've got it and they're doing it. And it's, Man, I got to yeah. give me some fudge directly from Uranus. I can't wait. Yes, for that. that's exactly <laughs> it. And it's delicious, delicious food. Man, I love that. Um, so yeah, we talked about how we're, we'll be in a motor home. What do you, you know, doing this trip, I've seen some people will go on motorcycles and I think some even people will even, you know, take their, their classic cars and do this. What do you think is the, the best vehicle for Route 66? Oh, I want to do it in a Model A Ford. That's something I've been oh. obsessed with for a while, but that's because wow. I was born 90 and I've never gotten older. Uh, <laughs> COVID again dampened this, but this is the road of dreams. Now, there's some sections of Route 66 with a motor home you're going to have to bypass and get on the yeah. interstate. Uh, like there's a section in New Mexico where the road went under the railroad and for a pickup truck and camper, it is a tight squeeze. And if it rains, the underpass there will fill up with two to three feet of water and mud. So you kind of want to bypass that part. Um, as far as traveling route 66, you'll see everything. We had a 35 year old fellow last year. Uh, 34. He was from a fascinating young man, uh, lives in New Hampshire, of all things, out of work, COVID. And he got tired of just waiting for being called back to work, decided, I've always wanted to do Route 66. So Sunday afternoon, he threw his toolbox, some spare parts, and his sleeping bag in an ice chest in his all-original 1929 Ford in New Hampshire. And he drove to Chicago and down Route 66. He did wow. 8,000 miles in three weeks in a 29 Ford. That's um, a few years ago, we had a group uh, motorcycle rally, and they were doing Route 66, and the only qualification is you had to have a motorcycle manufactured before 1916. Whoa. Uh, I met uh, a Japanese ultra marathon runner that was recreating the, the uh, classic transcontinental footways. He was running Route 66. Oh, cool. uh, I've met people rollerblading Route 66. No. Uh, oh, gosh, yes. My favorite, and I apologize in advance, I have a very, very dark sense of humor. A few years ago, a French mime decided to walk Route 66 end-to-end on six-foot stilts and try to set a stilt-walking record. He made it to Oklahoma before he had a heat stroke. And in my black humor the first thought i had was how does a french mime call for help in oklahoma yeah. uh but, <laughs> but, good but but you will see just every every vehicle everything you can imagine and i just my only regret with you taking the trip now is that the internationals aren't on the road as much mm. uh because it's it's astounding to be it, it, it's so magical and wonderful to be sitting in a place like the Midpoint Cafe in uh, Adrian, Texas. And here's farmers, t- traditional American farmers, drive up in their tractor. And here's a German motorcycle club. And they're all intermingling, having yeah. pie and coffee and talking to each other and sharing stories. And it just adds a, a vibrancy to the road. Yeah, that's so interesting. And then, so yeah, we're we're heading out pretty soon here. When when do you think is generally the best time of year to, to do a Route sixty six trip? I like uh, late September through October. Oh, I, 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 yeah, okay. I really enjoy that. The fall colors, uh, 
you get festivals, you've got different events going on, the balloon festival, different things. There's, there's mm-hmm. events along the road. Cuba Fest, the third week in October. Uh, I, I like that time a lot. But you can occasionally get into some weather issues. It's use, It can be a little wet in Illinois back there. Uh, October 2019, my last trip, and I generally do uh, one or two trips a year, uh, Route 66. Uh, last year was the least amount of travel I've done since 1959. Uh, but in October 19, and it was late October, granted, uh, Flagstaff is quite high. You get up around 7,000 feet. Mm-hmm. You can get into little snow issues. Sure. And uh, October 2019, I kind of got waylaid by a day because I had a major snowstorm in the panhandle of Texas. And uh, I had to hole up in Shamrock, Texas. I couldn't get to Amarillo. Uh, When a snowplow has slid off the road, that (laughs) tells you I shouldn't be out here. Yeah, that's a good cue, yeah. Especially when you're in a rental Ford Focus. Yeah, (laughs) not ideal for those conditions. No. Man, well, this has just been so fun, Jim. I like you. Just give me such. Uh, you just make me so excited for this trip. You know, you you share these stories and all these places. I, I really am. I'm so excited that I don't just get to talk about it with you now, but that I get to go. You know, experience this yeah. in a couple of weeks. You won't regret it. It's a uh, and there's some great highways. US six is is a, is an amazing highway. It goes all the way from Cape Cod, Massachusetts to Bishop, California. Originally, it went all the way to Long Beach, California. Oh, wow. And it's almost 90, 95% intact. And uh, it's it's America's highest automobile road, over 11,000 feet in the Colorado Rockies. Uh, it's, it's just an incredible road. But somehow, uh, it doesn't have the magic the, the, mm. the, of, of Route 66. It, you know, just like say it's the people. It's the road of dreams. It's always been marketed that way, and it still is the road of dreams. Mm-hmm. And doing what you're doing, your interest in the people, you're going to do very well. I hope you do some recordings from the road. Yes, definitely. You're going to meet some amazing people that are worth talking to. Mm-hmm. Uh, Angel Delgadillo, the 94-year-old barber who uses his father's barber chair and uh lose the house he was born in wow. who was instrumental in sparking this route 66 renaissance because his town was bypassed his town was dying and he fought back all the way to the state capital and he's now 94 he has been on super bowl commercials he's been in playboy photo shoots uh, and uh, his barber shop is a, a destination for legions of international route 66 enthusiasts man very very cool um, well, Jim, can you share some of, you know, for listeners and, and people listening, um, you know, where we can kind of learn more about you and on all the stuff that you share? Yeah. Jim Hinckley's America Facebook page and Jim Hinckley's America.com. Perfect. Okay. That's it. I'll have links to those two in the description for, for people listening so they can click on that and, and go and check you out easily. But, uh, yeah. man, this was just, this was so fun, Jim. I really appreciate you coming on and, and sharing your enthusiasm for this. Thank you. Oh, no, no problem at all. My pleasure. And I look forward to meeting you on the road. I really yes, heck do. yeah. I, I will definitely take you up on that. I'll give you a heads up when we're coming through. Uh, there's some great RV parks here in the Kingman area. Okay. There's That's some good to know. really, really nice RV parks. And uh, you'll be t- will you be bringing a car with you or just RV? Just the RV. Okay. Yeah. Well, we'll have to see if we can figure out how to get you up to Oatman. See yeah. Figure that out. Yeah. You, that, that section of Route 66 is so beautiful. Even though it's this, mm-hmm. it's so beautiful. Stevie Wonder can't take a bad photograph. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's, it's just it's just really really beautiful. Okay, yeah, we'll we'll have to try to figure that out because we yeah we got like a I think ours is a thirty four foot motorhome so it's pretty long but uh, yeah you don't want to probably do that it's yeah, yeah we'll, it's little, we'll have to ride a, a donkey up there or something I guess it's a little scary if, uh, any anything larger than a Volkswagen can make you a little nervous <laughs> out there okay I thought about it I learned to drive on that section of road so oh wow okay I'm so kind of used to it you're comfortable yeah. with that but. yeah. Cool. Well, yeah, thanks again, Jim. Really appreciate you taking the time. You bet, sir. And 
there you have it. Episode 114 is all done. Thanks for being here. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening to the end. Thank you so much for Jim for being on, sharing that. That was really such a fun, uh, fun episode. Love talking to Jim and excited to meet him. Uh, again, you can check out visiting66.com to learn more about Route 66 and kind of our whole trip and, you know, see where we're going and, and see videos and tours of all these places. Um, that's about it. I'm Travis DeRose. Uh, you can email me, Travis at curiosityness.com. Uh, I'm on Instagram at Trav DeRose. And if you know somebody who is interested in Route 66, they're going on a trip, or maybe they just love the mother road like I do, uh, why don't you go ahead and send them this podcast? Send them visiting66.com. They might, uh, they might actually like it. Uh, it really helps out the show. The word of mouth stuff is good. And if you could leave a review on iTunes, go on your or Apple podcast. Now they changed the name. It's not iTunes anymore. Uh, if you can leave a review, that helps out the show. Kind of gives me some cred when I'm looking for guests and that kind of stuff. Um, but that's it. Episode 114 is done. I'll see you in episode 115, the part two of our Route 66 series. So long. <laughs>